Good Live. Hello, this is William Fink, and this is Christogonia Saturdays. Today is Saturday, August 23rd, 2014. Praise Yahweh, the God of Israel, and thank you for listening. Tonight we're going to talk about something a little different, and, and, and a subject that really doesn't get enough attention in identity Christian circles. What we're so so much concentrating on on, on um, confronting and teaching our people who God's enemies are and who God's peoples are, but or or people are. I'm sorry, but what we don't spend enough time talking about is how those people should treat one another, and, and that's severely lacking, even within identity Christianity. The last place. It should be lacking. Tonight we will have Brother Ryan here to assist us in, in, in his presentation. In fact, he, he should be the star of the program. In the opening chapters of the revelation of Yahshua Christ, there are messages to the seven Christian assemblies. Most of the messages contain certain criticisms, and they all contain some encouragement. Yet, there is an important message in the very names of those assemblies, which most readers have not even grasped. We will not go through all seven of these messages, but we will state that two of the seven assemblies were not criticized by Christ. Those are the assemblies at Smyrna and Philadelphia. The word Smyrna means ointment, it's related to the idea of anointing. While Yahshua Christ is the anointed one, all Christian Israelites are indeed anointed in the sense that they are indeed the chosen people of Yahweh. The Apostle John references this anointing in his epistles where he talks about the anointing which you have received to his Christian Israelite readers. Of the assembly at Smyrna, it was said in the Revelation, chapter 2, verse 10, Do not fear the things which you are going to suffer. Behold, the false accuser is going to cast some from among you into prison, that you may be tried, and you shall have tribulation for ten days. You must be faithful until death, and I shall give you the prize of life. So we see that Yahweh's people, as it often says in both Old and New Testaments, they would undergo continual trials, but they would prevail on account of their faith. Contrary to the word Smyrna, the word Philadelphia means I'm sorry, contrary to the message given to the people of Smyrna, we have the message given to the assembly of Philadelphia. The word Philadelphia means brotherly love. The message to that assembly says in part from Revelation chapter 3 verse 10, Because you have kept my word with patience, I shall also keep you from the hour of trial about to come upon the whole inhabited earth to test those dwelling upon the earth. I come quickly. Hold fast that which you have that no one 
may take your reward. Of course, all of the messages to the seven assemblies are to the children of Israel of the ancient dispersions who have returned to Yahweh their God through Christ. Comparing these seven messages and seeing that the assemblies at Smyrna and Philadelphia were not criticized for having done anything wrong, what I learned from this is that if one is of the anointed children of Yahweh, he will be tried, but will survive his trials on account of the faith. However, if one also loves his brethren, which is what Philadelphia means, then one will even be kept from those trials. And staying in that love, he cannot lose his reward. While these messages to the seven assemblies are indeed allegorical, they present us with a model of what we must do and what we should not do to fulfill our lives as Christians. With this I will introduce Brother Ryan. Hello, Ryan. Thank you for joining me here this evening. Well, thank you for having me, Bill. It's an honor. The honor is mine. We, um, I, I don't know, you, you might want to talk about some, some brotherly love in relation to the things I just presented. I could go on to um, Paul's epistles to the Romans. I have some things I'd like to discuss there. It, it may be um, better to let you begin. Well, I, you know, where, where, where to begin, the whole, the whole book, the whole Bible is a book of love. And um, you said tonight I should be the star. Actually, you and I both know the star of tonight is, is, is Yahweh. First John 4 says Yahweh is love. So our very God is love. And we have to define what love is from the Bible. A lot of people with Christian identity, they have no problem defining hate, proper, holy hatred. They have no problem with the four-letter word race. But even among Christian identity, I've noticed that there are some that have a problem with the four-letter word L-O-V-E. Love is an action. It's not an emotional feeling. Well, I mean, you can feel it, but that's not what love is. Love is an action. It's a deed. Um, we know that the Scripture tells us when you don't love your brother... How can you love Yahweh, right? Christ said in the Gospel written by John, chapter 13, verse 24, I give to you a new, this is from the Christoginia, I give to you a new commandment that you should love one another, just as I have loved you, that you should love one another. By this shall all know that you are my students, if you have love one for another. And then you go into chapter 15. Christ repeats it again in verse 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. A greater love than this no one has, that one would lay down his life on behalf of his brothers. When we, when we people will say, well, yeah, I mean, that's you got to be willing to die for one another. Well, how about be willing to live 
for one another. That's that what Jesus it means. This is how we would know, how the world would know, how society would know, if we're Christians, is if we love our own brethren. But if we bite and devour and attack our own brethren, because we're not Christians. And the fruit of our tree is, is rotten. Galatians 5.22 tells us what God defines love as being. It's, it, 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 it's the fruits of the Holy Spirit, which are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness. <laughs> These type of attributes is what Christians are supposed to have. It's a commandment. We are to love one another, to be gentle with one another, to be kind, to be respectful for one another. Not do what Galatians 5.15 says, bite and devour or eat up one another. Galatians 5.20 tells us love isn't, isn't hostile, isn't contentious, isn't rivalrous, isn't wrathful. Second Corinthians tells us love isn't, doesn't have contention, isn't jealous, doesn't, isn't angry, doesn't brag, doesn't slander or traduce. It's not, it, it doesn't isn't have indignity. It's not disturbing or troublemaking, or I guess if uh, it was written back in the internet age, trolling. Romans 1, 29-31 tells us what love is, what a Christian is, and what the fruits of the, of the unholy spirit are. Strife, treachery, spiteful, mean, slanderous, arrogant, pretentious, having no understanding. In other words, not understanding your brother. Not being patient with, heartless, merciful. Romans thirteen thirteen tells us what love isn't, what the fruits of the unholy spirit are. The strife, and jealousy. First Corinthians three three tells us that the fruit of the unholy spirit is flesh, or carnal minded, immature, and engaged in rivals, contention, and dissension. So when we, we, we see this among our own brethren, we bite and devour one another, we're contentious with one another, we're argumentative, we're hateful, we're spiteful, we're revengeful, we hold grudges against one another. We're not bearing the fruits of the Holy Spirit. We're not loving our brothers. We're carrying one another down. So we are all bricks in the wall, if you will, of the temple of Yahweh God. We'd all agree with that. We're all part of the body. But what binds us to mortar is our love for one another. And if that brotherly love, that border is, is, un, is untempered, is no good, then the wall is going to fall. We have to have this unity. This is not a suggestion Christ gave us. It is a holy commandment. And we will be judged for not only how we love God, but how we love our brother. And the scripture says, how can you love God if you can't love your brother who you know, who you can see now? Love is the key to, to, to Christianity, to, to identity Christianity. If we can sit and we can point out all of the history and, and all of the, the scriptures proving our racial uh, heritage and identity and, and pointing out other truths. But if we don't have love for our fellow Christian identities, then all we've done is made ourselves weak and the body is diseased and weak. Absolutely, that that that's very good. Let the um, 
the Epistle to the Romans, I, I've been presenting that on a Friday night program here. And, and thinking about this program, while I was making my um, last presentation of Romans, I noticed that Paul had this undercurrent, what, which it, it's obvious in, in um, verse 12, and it's not so obvious in, in verse 13, because everybody focuses on, on the... Um, the relationship to tyrannical government. But if we lay that aside in Romans chapter 13, we see that Paul, in, in the epistle to the Romans, is telling these Christians in Rome, in chapter 12, exactly how they should treat each other. In chapter 13, that love is fulfilling of the law. A and a lot of people mistake that to mean that love replaces the fulfillment of the law, that love is a substitute, and, and that's not true. We have to keep the law in order to demonstrate our love, because Christ said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And that's what Paul was explaining at the end of Romans chapter 13. And, and then in Romans chapter 14, Paul is basically telling these Christians to lay aside their petty differences and, and, and he's pointing out some of the differences that they have in, in first century Rome. Some of the same differences that they had in first century Corinth. I, I'd like to explain this to some degree. In, in his epistle to the Romans, Paul explains how Christians should treat each other. And, and we must bear in mind reading this that he is only talking about the members of the body of Christ how they should treat each other. This has nothing to do with the swine, the wolves, and the dogs, those people who are outside of the body of Christ. And he says, just as in one body we have many members, but the members all do not have the same function. In this manner we are many in one body with Christ, and each one members of another, but having varying gifts according to the favor which is given to us. Now, what people miss is that by mentioning these gifts... Paul is expecting that we will take, find our gift and take that gift and, and use it to edify our brethren. And, and that we all have that responsibility as a member of the body of Christ. That goes unsaid, but, but it's, um, it's definitely inferred in, in, in the dialogue. Otherwise, why would he mention that we have these gifts if we're not going to use them? And he goes on to list the gifts, and, and he talks about interpretation of prophecy, proportion of faith, service in the ministry, teaching, encouragement, sharing, um, leading, those with leadership abilities, those with the ability to, um, to, to, to show mercy on their brethren to, to, to um, encourage and exhort their brethren and, and that's a gift. Some people do that a lot better than, than, than others. It's very clear. Love without acting. Love without acting. Verse 9. Love without hypocrisy is, is the literal meaning but hypocrisy is, is basically acting to put on a pretense when you do something. Abhorring wickedness, cleaving to goodness, brotherly love, affection towards one another, in honor preferring one another over anybody else. We should always prefer our fellow Christians. Rejoicing 
in expectation, persevering in afflictions, firmly persisting in prayer, sharing in the needs of the saints, pursuing hospitality, speak well to those who persecute you. He's talking again about the other members of the body. He's not talking about the enemies who are outside of the body of Christ. Speak well and do not curse. You never curse your Christian brethren. Rejoice with those who are rejoicing, lament with those who are lamenting. Yet you should feel your brother's pain and share in his happiness. Being of the same mind towards one another, not thinking of lofty things. In other words, as you just addressed, not being arrogant one towards another, because no man is better than his brother. But accommodating oneself to those that are humble, do not be wise on account of yourselves. We, we, we live by the law of God and the word of Christ, and not with our own wisdom. To no one returning evil in place of evil, having noble intentions in the presence of all men. If possible, it's not a, it's not a commandment, because sometimes it's not possible. If possible, from yourselves being at peace with all men. Not taking vengeance yourselves, but rather you must give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will requite, says Yahweh. Now, it says, if your enemy hung, were to hunger, feed him with scraps. That's the way the Christogenian New Testament reads. I explained why it reads that way um, in my presentation of Romans chapter 12. But the basic meaning is that if your enemy hungers, to take whatever you have around the house and give to him to eat. You, you don't have to um, be, become a, a supermarket for him or, or, or cook him, wine him and dine him, but you should collect the food, the spare food you have in your house and give it to your enemy. Again, it's talking about the body of Christ. We can't take any of these words and apply them outside the body of Christ, so it doesn't apply to non-Christians or to those who are not our brethren. But we have to treat our brethren in this manner. That even if for some reason I have hatred towards you, if you hunger, I should feed you to ward off your, your calamity. And that's how we take care of one, one another. It doesn't, we could have all sorts of disagreements, but we should take care of each other first. Even when we don't like each other, we have to love each other. We have to show that Christian charity towards one another. You must not be overcome by evil, but rather overcome evil with that which is good. Well, what is good? In, in um, Romans chapter 13, Paul talks, he, he goes off on, on, on this discourse about tyrannical government. And then, at the end of the chapter, he returns to the topic of how Christians should treat one another. And he says, you owe to no one anything. Now, a lot of people may think that that means they could take what they want and never have to pay it back. What Paul's telling people is that you should stay out of debt and pay your bills so that you're not caught in debt. That's what he's telling us. Except to love one another, for he who loves another has fulfilled the law. 
indeed. Now, now, a lot of Christians would take this and say, oh, all you need is love. I don't need the law, because all, all I need is love. But, well, that's some hippie trash from the 1960s. Paul says, he who loves another has fulfilled the law, and goes on to list the, the, the major points in the Ten Commandments, which relate to how we treat one another, not which relate to how we, how we are towards God, but how we are towards each other. Not to commit adultery, not to murder, not to steal, not not to lust. And any other commandment, which means any other commandment which there may be written in the book, is summarized in this saying, you shall love him near to you as yourself. Well, Paul is saying that if we love one another, we have kept the law. Love for him near to you who does not practice evil. Therefore, fulfilling of the law is love. So our Christian love goes hand in hand with keeping the law of God. But, finally, in Romans chapter 14, Paul discusses minor points of disagreement which Christians had over things in the first century and which Christians may have over things, which may have been wrong to do in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, Israel was bound by the sacrificial rites and the judgments of the law. But those judgments were actually a part of the Levitical and sacrificial laws which were done away with in Christ. From the first eight verses of Romans chapter 14, we see that these points of disagreement included the eating of meat sacrificed to idols, included the celebration of Sabbaths and certain feasts. And we see identity Christians argue over these things today, and these are the very things Paul is telling us really don't matter. And he says, For this reason Christ died and lived, that he may be master of both the dead and the living. Now why do you judge your brother? Paul just told us to keep the commandments. To fulfill the law is love, and that we should keep these commandments and love him near to us as we love ourselves, which is a quote from Leviticus um, chapter 18, I believe. That the, um, I'm sorry, chapter 19. The idea here, now why do you judge your brother, is in reference to these points of disagreement which really didn't matter. And he goes on to say, Or why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. Indeed, it is written, I live, says the Lord, that to me every knee shall bow, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us shall give an account to Yahweh concerning himself. In other words, we, as members of the body of Christ, must keep the commandments of Christ, and in that way, we begin to demonstrate our love for one another. But we don't judge our brethren over these little things that Christ had done away with, that Christ had died for. Christ died to free us from these sacrificial and Levitical laws. We don't argue over those issues with our brethren. Each of us answers to our God over those issues. No longer should we judge one another 
but rather determine this. Do not put an obstacle in the way of a brother or a trap. Because that's Phariseeism. That's legalism. We're trying to rule over our brother. We're not trying to live with him and show him Christian love. Well, that's correct. We're also to love our brother enough to, uh, on the opposite end of the spectrum, uh, not, you know, shoving the legalism down their throat, to uh, where Apostle Paul spoke of not eating meats and sacrificed idols, which, you know, as he he explained, as we all know, meat's meat. As long as it's clean to eat, it's meat. But he said he wouldn't eat it in front of a weak brother or sister if he thought it would cause them to stumble and think that, you know, it was okay to dabble with idolatry because those animals had been, you know, prayed over by a pagan priest or whatever. So you have the other end of the spectrum where you don't want people to think, well, cause them to stumble. So you have to have love. So that tells us that, well, that's just another example, that we are truly to love our brother and our sister. And what that means is we are our brother's keeper. We're to look out for one another. We're to consider our brother. Consider the things that we do. Is it are we trying to shove legalism down and throw our own little pet dogmas, or are we trying to? Are we doing things that might cause them that are weak in faith, weak in understanding, that are new to Christianity or whatever, to fall? And that I just wanted to throw that in there. That uh, another example on the other end of the spectrum from the Phariseeism, neo Phariseeism of today, is some people. It's not a sin for the things they do, but you don't want people to cause someone to stumble and to offend them. Paul was talking about loving his brother. He said he would not eat eat the rest of his life if he thought, you know, it, it was going to hurt spiritually hurt a brother or a sister. And that's the kind of love you got to you have. That it may seem a little extreme, but that is, you know, that's a point that's there that we are to put and consider our brother. Consider the things that come out of your mouth, not just the things that go in your mouth, but consider what comes out of your mouth, the things that you say. Um, Yes, love is an action, it's a deed, but when you speak, you're doing a deed. So even consider the things that you say or the things that you write, the things that you type, the things that uh, you do, and the things that you don't do, are they love? You're talking about Romans 13. Peter uh, witnessed that in 1 Peter 4, verse 8, before all things, having zealous love for one another, because love covers a multitude of errors. So there you have Peter saying the same thing, Paul was saying, witness, that love, indeed, it does cover a multitude of errors. Because you will, you will be judged on whether you kept the two great commandments, loving God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and if you loved your neighbor and loved your brother as you love yourself. In 1 Corinthians, love tells us that they want to point out, well, you don't love your neighbor because you're lusting after his wife, you're hating him in your heart, which is murder or committing adultery. And they're right. But the scripture is full, I've read some, but the scripture is full of other examples and definitions to Christian brotherly love. 1 Corinthians 13, 4-8. It is patient. It's not jealous. It don't vaunt itself. It's not inflated or arrogant. It don't seek things for itself. It's not provoked. In other words, it's not super sensitive or overly prideful. 
you don't consider evil. And people need to think about that. It rejoices in truth. It is trusting. It endures. And it never fails. 1 Corinthians 13, 13 says of faith, hope, and love, that holy triad there of Christian attributes, love is the greatest of them. And basically, a Christian, if he loves, if he's keeping God's commandments, he's not an arrogant jerk. The Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, 2, if he knew all mysteries and had all knowledge, I mean, you know, there's a lot of people that are pretty, pretty proud of themselves. They know a lot. Or, well, they think they know a lot of Scripture or what have you. And they may. But they know all mysteries and they know all knowledge. And nobody does. But Apostle Paul said even if he did know everything and he had faith to move mountains, so he had power of the Holy Spirit to, to do miracles, yet he don't have love, he said, I am nothing. That's First Corinthians 13, 2. 2 Corinthians um, tells us that love is not contentious, jealous. It's not angry. It's, it's not, it doesn't brag. It doesn't slander. I'm just going through some of my notes here because if, if a Christian will spend a, a, a one day a weekend day or something with the Bible and just kind of scan through the New Testament looking for what love, how love is defined. They'll find other things such as Ephesians, Ephesians 4.34 that Christians are to be kind to one another, good-hearted, forgiving as Yahweh has forgiven you. I wonder, I wonder how many people work on that. <laughs> And Ephesians 4, 22 through 32 tells me that a Christian that has the Holy Spirit in love is not, doesn't have an antisocial behavior or psycho, uh, psychopathy or, or, or narcissistic behavior. They're not a liar. They're not full of malice and wrath. Always vengeful. I'm going to get that guy. They don't steal. They're not corrupt in their speaking. Some people think the same, you know, certain pick four-letter words are, are corrupt speaking. No, corrupt speaking is when you lie, when you slander, when you blaspheme. Right. <laughs> and you're not bitter, according to Ephesians 4, 22-32. Those are some of the attributes of love that, that a love doesn't have. Corrupt speaking can be unrighteous in precatory prayer or calling down imprecations on your brother, wishing your brother wrong when 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 um, your brother that is we are told we can't even tell our call it well the Christagina uh has you 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 have the word stupid um the king james has the word fool basically all means the same we can't even call our brother stupid or fool in anger <laughs> absolutely and and well, we should go further that, than our brother demands us the, the same in the same place where it tells us not to call our brother stupid, it, it says that if our, our brother has a cause against us for which he um, desires our cloak as repayment, we should give him our cloak and the sh and our shirt also. And, and if our brother presses us to go one mile for him, we should be willing to go too and volunteer that. Here's the crux where. 
it's kind of a shame sometimes in Christian identity, for sure. We have to not only define what the Bible says about love, we have to define brother. And a lot of people say, well, I got my, my brother. Well, if your identity, you should know who your brother is and who isn't. Who your kinsman is and who isn't. And unless you can prove that that person is not white, <laughs> then they're at least a racial kinsman, a neighbor, a nice, someone nice to you. We don't have to regard the law as a stranger. We know that. But we do have an obligation. Uh, you, you had mentioned earlier in the scripture, Bill, it talks about preferring your brother. First off, we that are racially awake, we know to prefer our race, the white people. Period. You have to prefer them. Period. Over the non-whites. That's <laughs> just, just the way it's going to be. And, but secondarily, you are to prefer your Christian brethren and sisters over the other whites. You are to work together with them. Because if we work together and not oppose each other, and argue and fight and devour one another, and slander and, 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 and say all kinds of vile things about each other. If we don't do that, then the other whites, our racial kin, who aren't Christian, will see that we have unity. And the scripture teaches Christian unity, and not only preferring your brother, but Paul said he prayed that the church in the Philippians have love that would abound and increase in knowledge and understanding and be filled with fruit of righteousness. That's in Philippians 1, 9-11. He spoke of them standing in one spirit, in one soul together. Verse 27. And of encouragement and consolation of love, and of being like-minded, and of having the same love in unity, not according to contention or according to empty pride, but with humility, esteeming one another above yourselves. Philippians 2, 1 through 4. You are to think the prosperity of your brothers and sisters. If, if, if you get jealous, we know that one of the fruits of the unholy spirit is jealousy, as I just read earlier. If you're jealous or bitter because someone's a fellow Christian has getting a better income or better job or prospering some way or has a bigger, better, badder Christian identity ministry than you, you should be happy for them and excited. Right. That's, absol that's absolutely I true. I get excited when I hear about a Christian brother or sister that I, I may just be acquainted with, may not even know them, to someone I'm kind of acquainted with on the internet or, or, or through a friend or a third party, and I hear that they get a job or something's happened good to them, I get excited. I, I don't understand how other Christians are so busy biting and beating each other down and nitpicking each other. It's just saying, hey, man, I want to see you go. I don't care. I want to see you do, do great. I want to see Yahweh bless you and you just push your blessings to the max or whatever gifts you spoke of the gifts, Bill. If whatever gifts and talents and, and resources you've got in this life, push them to the max. Colossians 3.17 says, Whatsoever you do in word or in deed, love is a deed, and it is spoken if you speak loving words, and truth, and not lie, not blasphemy, not, not slander. If you do all these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving Yahweh God glory through Him. 
So whatever you do in life, whatever you do for a living, if you're a truck driver, because I've been a truck driver, whatever you do, you pray and you thank Yahweh Father for the ability to drive that truck and that job, and you ask Him to protect you on the road. If you're a welder, whatever it is that you do, it doesn't matter if you're a housewife. I don't care. And you take your abilities, your talents, if you've got computer abilities, if you've got this, that, and the other, you should be busy about your father's business and encouraging and helping one another, other Christians that are trying to, to do good, and when the other whites are Israelite brethren, or Adamic brethren, who are not Christian, they will see that's the light that we're supposed to be shining. It's our, it's our love for God first, and for one another. And they see that, and they want to be part of that. That's what makes Christianity real. You, know, you could go around and you could pray for people, and they'd be healed of cancer, and people raised from the grave, from the grave raised dead people, the funeral homes. You could do all of that. And people might come around for, for healing, but they'll, they'll go away. But if they see your actions, your behavior, that light of truth and love, because God is love. That's what the Scripture says. And if you're going to be a child of God, you're supposed to be love. It hurts my feelings. It hurts my heart. When I had a Christian identity brother tell me openly on the Internet for all to read, that because I had spoken of love in a YouTube video, that I was sounding like a Judeo-Christian. That broke my heart. Really? I can't open that book, the Bible, and not read about the commandment to love one another. To be loving towards one another. To love your people. That's our problem with our country. We don't love. We don't have Christian brotherly love. Judeo-Christians talk about love in a very empty way. And, 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 empty, um, yes. It, it's, it's meaningless. It's vanity, right? It, it's they have no, no no real actions. What when they what, when they do something, they do it for their own self justification. They do it in the precise spirit that Christ tells them not to do it. Matthew chapter six verse one. Now offer your righteousness not to do before men for them to behold. Yet otherwise you have no reward from your Father who is in the heavens. And, and when these Judeo-Christian churches do things for people, that, that they pull up vans, they all have the same colored t-shirt, that they advertise what they're doing for people, yeah, sure, they might put a new roof on your house, but they do it before men for everyone to behold. And they make a big show of it. As if they're righteous, they they go on these missions overseas to these third world countries and and bring animals home, calling them people, and 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 exhibiting this as if it's righteous in front of men. That's not love. That's really hate. And and they have their reward. They have no reward in in heaven for this kind of love, as they call it, because they're doing it. And, 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 and displaying and advertising it. They're doing it for worldly rewards is why they're doing it. And they have those rewards. And, and, and they're, they're going to get a cold awakening. Identity Christians should know better. We pretend to believe the words of the prophets in relation to our race. And that's fine. We pretend to believe the words of the gospel in relation to the enemies of Christ. And we do, and that's fine.
Well, we should believe the gospel and the prophets in relation to the way we treat one another. And we often fall short there. That's that final step that we have to take in, in, in order to um, be the people of God and be that shining city on a hill which we have the calling to be. There's no doubt. Brother, I, w- I want to make this real clear um, to the listeners. The Ten Commandments covers any, any and all form of error, or failure, or sin. There is not one sin you can think of that doesn't fall under at least one of the Ten Commandments. Now, we know that Yeshua told us that if you hate your brother in your heart, you're a murderer. And then he also told us we call our brother stupid or fool, that is a form of hate, which is a form of murder. So when you begin to understand the spirit of the law, and not just the letter of the law, and you begin to understand that, you begin to understand if you traduce, if you slander, if you make stuff up, if you gossip, you are a murderer. You hate your brother. You're not a Christian. And when you make up and you bear false witness, which of course is also another tra- uh, uh, the law, uh, the Ten Commandments, but if you bear false witness, that's also a form of hate, also a form of murder. You can slay one another with your tongue. Tongue is a two-edged sword. You can hurt one another with your with your your own venom, your viperous uh, bites, with your mouth. So when people say, "Well," I, 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 you know, they they make up all the slander and lie, and then they justify it by saying, "Well, this is not my brother." Well, if the person is white, and unless their actions prove otherwise, and you and I both know, Bill, unless somebody just looks obviously not white, the, the, the dividing line is what the Scripture says. If you don't believe that Jesus is the Christ, and we know the Scripture says no man can say Jesus is the Christ except by the Holy Spirit, and I will tell you all that Jesus Christ is Yahweh God, period. Well, well... If we go to the Old Testament, the Old Testament says that the Messiah will be Yahweh God. I am your Redeemer. Besides me, there is no other. I don't know why people don't read Isaiah and get that. It's so simple. Yahweh says in in, um, Isaiah, I am your Redeemer. Besides me, there is no other. Christ says, I am He. I and my Father are one. Not two. Not three. I and my Father are one. Behold, Israel, the Lord our God is one God. Thou shalt put no other gods before me. Besides, there are none after me. He says there are no gods before him. He also says there are no gods after him. So, so I, I, I don't know how people don't get that Christ is God. Isaiah chapter 9 makes it very clear. And that is the litmus test which we were given by the Apostle John. Because Amen. that's what the Messiah is. I learned the oneness doctrine in 1988. 
I learned the truth about the lie called Trinity in 1988. I'm sorry, 1987 is when I learned the, the identity. Well, not the identity, but the oneness doctrine. It came to identity later. Now, the, the whole thing about if someone, uh, if, if you deny the Israel identity message, I would, I would be very suspect of you. But if someone confesses the identity message, they confess the oneness of, of Yahweh God. And what's that third rule that you have, Bill? If someone denies the Jews are the seed of Cain. Well, well we, we have to understand that there could be no good Jews. That's right. If we think that there could be good Jews, then the idea that a bastard can enter into the congregation of Yahweh is... It, it is allowed. That's a very you, dangerous you idea. They can't be 15% Canaanite? No, they can't be, they, they can't be one fifteenth of a percent Canaanite. Really? So I, I couldn't bid you down? I, I couldn't, I couldn't just make up a percentage? Haha, <laughs> no, we can't be subjective. Okay. As soon as we get thing, subjective though, about God's law, where's the, the limit? I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry. I was going to say, it's back to the seriousness of the matter. Those three things there is, um, uh, Bill, you, you talk about that, those three things, that, that triad there, that litmus test. If a person confesses those, those three holy truths, then that's a brother or sister, and you have no, absolutely no right to lie on them, to slander them, to mistreat them. And a matter of fact, you don't even have a right to ignore them. Um, I can't remember the verse right off the top of my head. The scripture says that if you have the goods of this society, of this world, in other words, you, you, you're, you're okay financially, or you have food, you have whatever, and you see your brother or sister in need, and you don't take care of them, how does the love of Yahweh dwell in you? It doesn't. You hold your brother and sister's cheaper. You Absolutely. are to look out for one another, and that these people in identity, we of all people, we have the truth, and those three truths that we're, that we're speaking of, we have dual seed line Christian identity. Those, those of us that have enough sense to only count to one when it comes to the Godhead, we don't make up three different triune gods. Um, we have the truth. I'm not talking about me or Bill. I'm talking about any of us that, that believe this. That's your brother or sister. You have an obligation to look out for them and to not mistreat them, verbally abuse them, or anything else. And if you can't do anything for a brother or sister, or they don't live nigh you or near you, you just know of them on the Internet or something, pray for them. I ask all my brothers and sisters, I'll take all the prayers I can get, and I will pray for you. Well, well, right. None of us should be um, arrogant enough to believe that we do not need the prayers of our brethren. We certainly do. I'll take all I can get, bro. <laughs> we have to look out for one another. We have to care about one another. And I'm telling you, a lot of identity people are telling you that are listening to this, you want to see identity, uh, people hear that identity message and, 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 and get it spread, show by your actions. And people will see how identity Christians treat one another, you know, you know hopefully good, and they're going to, that, that, that's going to right there. 
going to make them say, I want to look into this. Because the love, a Christian love, is the only true love. Like Bill was explaining, the world's love is hate. That's false. There's only one true love. It's just like there's only one true God, Yahweh. He is love, and there is no other love outside of his. All other loves are perverted. And, and let me let me let me interrupt a second because I really want to qualify something that I said earlier because I know that it's going to be clowns trying to dispute with me. And, and I want to quote Isaiah forty three ten, and it says, "Ye are my witnesses, saith Yahweh, and my servant whom I have chosen that he may know and believe me." Talking to Jacob. And understand that I am he, before me was no God formed, neither shall there be after me. Neither shall there be after me. Christ is not a second God. Yahweh says that there will be, there was no God before him, neither shall there be after me. And then he says, in verse 11 of that chapter, I, even I am Yahweh, and beside me there is no Savior. So Christ is a nobody, or Christ is Yahweh. There's no other choice. So all these clowns that try to deny the divinity of Christ, and then say, oh, I'm not denying the divinity divinity of Christ, he's God too. Yahweh makes him a liar. And, according to the Apostle John, he is placed into the category of Antichrist. That's Isaiah, chapter 43. I forget the verse, but in chapter 8 of the Gospel written by John, Jesus said, except you believe I am he, you shall die in your sins. Absolutely. The great I am he. Yes, he is. Yeah, you know, that, there was a reason why the Pharisees were so vexed every time he said, I am he. They got angry. They took stones one time, and he said, what are you stone me for? And he said, you being a man calling yourself God. Right. They knew. They knew what he was doing. He they was knew. calling himself God. Yes, they knew Exactly what he meant and what he was referring to. They knew, they had to understand that he was referring to Isaiah when he said, I am he. The same words. He said, He that has seen me has seen the Father. Father right. is spirit. God is a spirit. Think of such a force of him, spirit and truth. The Son is the body, the flesh, the image, the expressed image of God. God could not come down here as a spirit. First off, he would have killed all of us. Two, because if he came all the glory, Two, no one would have killed him. He would have never been sacrificed, and there would have been no sacrifice for our sins. That's just that simple. But the carnal-minded want to say, well, the Son was somebody separate. The Son was the flesh, body, the image, which later raised from the dead, was able to eat food, hang out with the apostles for twelve for 40 days, and walk in and, in and out of walls and, and translate himself from one space to another. It's not that complicated. Like I said, I learned this in 1987. There's um, another side to the coin, and you've already hit on it, but I would like to expound on it a little more. Those of us who are apparently white, there, there aren't too many people that are ideal, um, blonde, blue-eyed, um, 
perfectly featured Aryans. There simply are. What are you talking you, about? What are you yeah. talking about? I am beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> you can look I'm at brown, just about. I'm brown here. Well, now it's gray here and thinning, and I've got light brown eyes. Yeah. And I yeah. tan very easily on my arms and face. And, and it's, uh, well, well, that's, um, your body can be trained to tan very easily on your arms and face. But I'll bet if you put your ass out in the sun, it would be burned. Well, my legs, my chest, all that, when you look at it, you can see the blue veins underneath my skin. If, um, if somebody is apparently white, and none of us, very few of us live up to the ideal, if they're apparently white, and they accept that Jesus Christ is Yahweh God come in the flesh. And they accept the racial message concerning God's enemies as well as God's people. You have to have communion with that person. You can't reject that person. You might be rejecting a, a, a brother. Even the scripture says that you may, um, you, you may show hospitality to angels unawares. So, so you can't just take a a, a white man who's apparently white and say, oh, your ears are too big. You can't be white. Get out of here. You can't do it. Because none, none of us have every feature equivalent to what we may consider or, or what some medieval artist may consider the ideal Aryan figure. It's just not going to happen. So, so we have to accept those people. That un until, and, and it's always been my philosophy, and it was my philosophy with all the people that I've dealt with in my Christian ministry. If you're apparently white and you profess those things, I'm going to accept you as a white man. When you violate those simple biblical principles, I'm going to have to put you out of my communion. But I'm not going to put you out of my communion if you do not violate those simple, basic Christian principles. And I can't, because the Scripture won't allow me to, because the Scripture is the Word of my God, and Yahweh is my God. Not some um, manual for what white people might look like that some clown finds on Stormfront. Right. Well, I, yeah, they, some people get really, really funny with that, um, uh, you know, uh, what they define as white, even though he wasn't, he wasn't Christian uh, at all. Um, David Lane, he had one writing that I actually agreed with, titled, Who is White? And he said, if you look white, if you act white, if you fight white and think white, you're white until your actions prove otherwise. Right, and exactly. We have to know people by their fruits. Exactly. That's what we're told in the gospel. By their fruits, you'll know them. I've got light brown eyes, but there's white people that have dark brown eyes. There's white people that have black raven hair. Well, Some well, of them tan really good. Solomon, King Solomon has raven hair, and he got a tan. That's what the Song of Solomon is all about. That's what those opening verses are all about. He's described in the Song of Solomon, I believe it's in chapter 5, as having raven hair. In the first verses, he's saying, I am darkened. The sun has tanned me. 
Now, now that's often mistranslated as I am black, but the idea that the sun has tanned him is clearly there in any translation. Hector, the prince of Troy, had raven hair. That's described in the Iliad. I'm sorry. Yes, in the Iliad, in book 18 or 19, I'm not sure. But Hector, the great prince of Troy, the quintessential Aryan warrior, is the way Hector is usually envisioned. He had raven hair, just like King Solomon. The, the um, mosaics of ancient Greece show many, um, and any artistry show many, ancient Greeks, people that Paul preached to with brown eyes. And, and they mentioned people that had gray eyes and blue eyes as if they were special. So why would they do that? Well, as if they were special in the sense of different from, from the majority of people. So why would they do that? The Greeks had four different kinds of eye color. Blue, goat-eyed, dark-eyed, and another word that may be translated as gray, as far as my memory serves me. What's goat-eyed? That's an eye color in Greek. That, that's what, um, I believe it was Plato that named the four eye colors of the Greeks. And one was simply dark-eyed, and the other was goat-eyed. Is that yellow-eyed? Is it green-eyed? Is it light brown-eyed? We don't know. We don't know. There's no way to there's no way to determine that that I know. So so it, it's it, it's um clear that there were brown eyed Greeks. It was clear that the apostles had preached to them that the idea that real white people only have blue eyes is ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous in this in the light of um, ancient history. We accept those white men who accept Christ who accept the identity of Christ as God come in the flesh and the redeemer of the children of Israel. We have to accept those white men and we have to love them as brethren because that's what the scripture tells us to do. And if we reject them, it's to our own detriment. There's no oh, I'm going to go through some more notes here. Uh, and if people want to scroll these down, if they're listening to the podcast later, they can start and stop. The first Thessalonians 4 9 speaks of brotherly love, that we are taught by Yahweh to love one another. Verse 5 11, we are to encourage one another, and I like this, build up one another in the faith. And Bill, you had talked about the different, you know, the exhorters, the teachers, the pastors people with different gifts, all for the building and education of the church. We're all to look out for one another. What are you right. doing to build the, the church up? Verse 5.13 in First Thessalonians says to live peacefully among ourselves. Verse 14, we are to admonish the undisciplined, encourage the weak, be patient towards all. Verse 15, don't render evil for evil. How many people... They don't like that one. Second Thessalonians 3, 5, and 6, they keep, keep your hearts straight in the love of Yahweh, and we are to avoid every brother conducting himself in a disorderly manner. Hebrews ten twenty four. 
So well, we're supposed to avoid, and that's from the Christagenia, we're supposed to avoid even brothers that are disorderly. Right. <laughs> right, if you're not acting as a Christian, you, you, you do not deserve Christian community. Let me um, interrupt momentarily, please. Yeah. You, yeah. you had mentioned us not... Um, that we should not render evil for evil. And, and Paul says in, in um, Romans twelve nineteen, Not taking vengeance yourselves, beloved. Rather, you must give place to wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will requite, says Yahweh. And Paul goes on to say, You must not overcome... You must not be overcome by evil, but rather overcome evil with that which is good, which is a keeping, a keeping of God's law and the words of Christ. But that's not a new idea with Paul, because let me quote the entire phrase, because Paul quotes, um, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, later on in the same epistle. But in, in, in the end of um, chapter 13, maybe. But the original passage is from Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. Thou shalt not avenge. Well, Paul says, not taking vengeance yourselves. Paul didn't make that up. He got it right from Leviticus 19, verse 18. Thou shalt not avenge, nor bear any grudge against the children of thy people. So when your brother does you wrong, you, you have to forget that. Forgive, right. But thou shalt love thy neighbor, meaning fellow flock member, because that's what that word means. That word neighbor comes from a Hebrew word which means to be, to graze together. It comes from a verb which applies to the keeping of sheep, to graze together. That's the original meaning of the verb. So, if you and I aren't of the same flock, we can't be neighbors. It's that simple. It's that simple. The wolves can't move into the, to the sheepfold and claim to be our neighbor so that they could take advantage of us. Oh, no, I would never suggest to any right. brother or sister to be at peace with the enemies of God, any wolves, any pigs, or swine, well, right. any dogs. And I'm any only fighters. reinforcing that none of these things about brotherly love apply to wolves. They can't. Right. They're not our brethren. That They're not our neighbor because they weren't raised from the same flock. So it says, Thou shalt not avenge, nor bear any grudge against the children of thy people, but thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. That's the law. Paul didn't pull it out of thin air and make it up and add it to the scripture. That's in Leviticus. It's as old as Moses. It makes me think of... um I'm sorry, I don't remember the verse. Maybe you you do. You're a walking Bible. You've got a photographic memory, I believe. (laughs) Where Christ was talking about, uh, he said, you know, you say, uh, you, you quote the law, eye for an eye, tooth for tooth, limb for limb. Said, but you, you know, but I tell you, resist not evil. He was not doing away with the civil order of Lex Teleonus, of, you know, 
eye for an eye, equal justice, equal uh, punishment for the act. He was not doing away with that. He, said, he was talking about you're always looking for tit for tat. You're always wanting to justify every little thing you do. And then he said, you know, uh, not necessarily in that same conversation, but Christ was talking about turning the other cheek. He was talking about praying for your enemy. The scripture talks about praying for your enemy that you put hot coals, and that's, that's bothering your conscience. You do good to them, and you pray for them. And what Christ was teaching there is not being all, you know, hippy-dippy, take this use of antichrist and, and, and people that aren't our neighbor, aren't of our racial flock. He wasn't saying that. What he was saying is, we, we, you always looking for just, to, oh, he did me wrong, so I'm going to do him wrong. Right. What Jesus was saying was, take the slide on the cheek, uh, take the, you know, don't don't be always looking to render uh, justice on every little thing. But he wasn't doing away with the civil law, moral law of Yahweh. Let's tell you us, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, limb for limb, life for life. I just want to put that in there, you made me think of that. Well, well turning, turning the other cheek, right. Sometimes our brethren are going to do things to us, and we just have to let it pass. We just have to let it go by. As long as you don't hurt us according to the law. As long as you don't hurt me right, according I, to the yeah, law. I did put that in there. If, right. if you rape my wife, well, well I can't turn <laughs> the other cheek. <laughs> right, right, exactly. But if you borrow ten bucks from me, or a hundred, or a thousand, and um, six months goes by and you haven't paid me back, as a Christian, I should assume... Well, Ryan really can't pay me back, so I'm going to forget about that. And, well, and Yahweh will judge. <laughs> well, well, that's that, that's the way we should act. <laughs> what we should forget about things like that. Right, and and right. we don't. We don't do enough of that. Right. We're to forget one another as we want Father to forgive us. Right. And that's your point. Um, and I want to make another point. Um, I just want to point this out. You know, when, when you, if you had a sibling and you grew up with a with an older brother or, or, or sister or whatever, and you're sitting in the back seat of the car and you, your parents driving, and um, that that sibling just keeps on poking you, it keeps on poking you, quit, quit, and they keep poking you in the ribs, poking your stomach, messing with you, you know, pulling off your ear, whatever, messing with you, and they keep poking, keep poking. You can't complain if they, they can't go nowhere. You keep tormenting them, and they keep trying to ask you to quit. If they haul off and smack you upside the head and bloody your nose or something. You know, we can't be abusing our brethren and sisters and think, well, we can get away with it because, you know, he's going to keep forgiving me. And you keep messing with him, and he keeps asking you to stop. Don't get upset when your brother or sister bloodies your nose. <laughs> Well, well, right, but th- that's repentance. Forgiveness requires repentance, even with man before God. Forbid- forgiveness requires repentance. If we don't repent, there's no requirement of forgiveness. Christ said, if your brother hurts you 70 times, 7 times, and he repents. Sometimes we do things to each other, and we really don't mean to do it. But if I step on your toe in a crowded bar and say, oh, well, I'm sorry, well, well, you shouldn't be thrashing me with a cue stick. Or get mad at me. Just say, you know, I'm sorry, man. I didn't mean to. Right, exactly. And sometimes we, we do something wrong we don't, we don't know, and you might have to tell us. But you, you, the whole idea is you're not 
to go around and abuse your brother and sister and think you can continue to get away with it. Right. You're not going to get away with it. Um, Hebrews, the 10th chapter, verse 24. We should consider one another in regard to stimulation of love and of good deeds. Wow. Huh? Verse 13, 1. Brotherly love most abide. Do not be forgetful of hospitality. Like you had referred to earlier, you never know. You may actually, people think it can't happen. You never know. You may one day entertain an angel. Verse 13, 16. Be not forgetful of benefits, which is a fancy word for good deeds, and of sharing. First Timothy 6.10, Christians are to be patient and meek, have good deeds, and be generous and sharing. Verse 18. Second Timothy 2.22, we are to pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. That's what Christians are supposed to do. We talk about Christianity was called the way. It's called the way. That's what Christianity was known in the first century, was the way. And we are to that way is a way of righteousness, faith, love, and peace. Second Timothy two twenty two. It is not narcissistic, arrogant, braggart, unaffectionate, slanderous, and having a form of piety or, or holiness. Second Timothy three two through five. There sure are a lot of false brethren out there that sure are exhibiting a lot of these fruits of the. On the Holy Spirit. Right. Love, in Titus 3 2, is to be disciplined to fight reasonable, exhibiting all gentleness towards all men. We are to prefer good works to those things that are good and advantageous, advantageous to men. Sinners, according to Titus 3, exist in evil and they hate one another. Oh, the fruits of the Holy Spirit, not, not of the company. James 1.19. We're to be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry. Got to work on that, some of us do. James 2.1-7. Don't treat people based on their, on their clothing or their income. You're to love your brothers equally, no matter what they are, where their social economic standing is, or how well they're known. We're to treat each other equally. It's not that we're not going to have one, some brothers that we're closer to than others or, or what have you, but when it comes to treating one another and loving one another, we are to do well, it equally. Well, well right. We, we might have brethren that we might prefer their company over others, and, and, and yeah. maybe we both like to lift weights together or go fishing together, but, but the, this other brother that doesn't like to fish, we're still going to make sure he eats. Oh, we're intriguing good. Yeah. And look out for him and fellowship with him if he wants to. Right. Yes, sir. Um, we're to be peaceful, reasonable, full of acts of mercy. I wonder that some people, are your acts this week, are they full of mercy? <laughs> you know, Proverbs 3.34 says, God opposes the arrogant and gives favor to the humble. Jesus said, the meek shall inherit the earth. <laughs> well, well, right. But also mentions this about God resisting the proud in First Peter 5, 5. Also 
preaches this verse of Proverbs 3.34, God resisting the proud and rewarding the humble. Of course, that's meek and humble towards God. Exactly, and thank you. Because a lot of people, if... um. I had a guy once who who, um, who said to me that Christians are supposed to be sheep. And, and I said, yeah. And he said, so why are you so assertive? And I said to him, well, I, I want you to go examine a flock of sheep. Every once in a while, you'll find a ram. <laughs> he just walked away. He just left. <laughs> well, well yeah, you know, humility is not kissing your brother's ass. Humility in Scripture, and I don't have it handy right now, but I think it's in Proverbs chapter 10 in, in the Septuagint. Humility in Scripture is submitting yourself to God. And Paul, as I quoted at the beginning of this program, Paul said that fulfilling the law is love. When we fulfill the law, we submit ourselves to God by keeping His commandments. When we keep those commandments, we show our love for God, and our brother cannot possibly have an issue with us. And that is the, the, the highest form of brotherly love, is when all we as, as kinsmen submit to God. And do his will. That's right. And, and Moses, uh, the King James Version, words it this way, says that he was the meekest man about the earth. And it meant meek to God. Because we know Moses, he, he, he had a temper. <laughs> uh, but it meant he was meek to God. And when you are meek to God, and that was the point that I'm, I'm thank you for making that, because if you're meek, and you God resists the proud and rewards the humble, the meek shall inherit the earth. And this verse is, is uh, from Proverbs is cited in First in, in Peter and in James, it's because it's a, it's a very important uh, verse and point to make, is that you, you are meek to God, you're going to automatically, you're going to love your brother, you're not going to slander, you're not going to liable, you're not going to be mean, you're going to be considering him, you're going to be caring about him. Right, <laughs> because if you're meek to God, you fear his judgment. And you yes. will be judged by how you treat his brethren. A lot of people don't get this. In, in, in uh, Matthew chapter 25, in the parable of the sheep and the goats, if you examine that parable, you will find that the sheep are judged by how they treat the sheep. As Christ says, one of these, the least of my brethren, are, the sheep are judged by how they treat the sheep. All the Amen, goats, all the goats go into exactly the lake right. of fire because the goats are judged by how they treat the sheep. <laughs> the goats are judged. People miss that. Oh, these goats, they might do something good but for their people. No, the goats are judged by how they treat the sheep. One of these, the least of my brethren. The brethren aren't goats. The brethren are only sheep. So the goats are judged by how they treat the sheep. The sheep are judged by how they treat the sheep. Oh, uh, uh, he was talking about rams. Um, Richard Kelly Hopkins, uh, the Christian identity writer, Richard Kelly Hopkins, uh, he sometimes refers to it as the sheepdogs. Sometimes the sheepdogs looking up for the sheep. But yeah, what, what you were talking about, um, 
another scripture, scripture comes to mind is uh, the, 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 the least shall be uh, the greatest in the kingdom and the greatest here shall be the least. It's, uh, God loves all of his children and he'll leave behind the 99 sheep to go get that one lost sheep. So he loves all of his children. And we need to love the children, our brothers and our sisters. James 4.11 says uh, uh, someone who has Christian love doesn't slander. Boy, that sure leaves a lot of people out. James 5.9 says don't bemoan against one another. And, of course, bemoan means to stress over or or to regard with disapproval. Don't be arrogant and all that. 1 Peter 1.22 speaks of brotherly love, that we should love one another earnestly. 1 Peter 2.1 tells us we're to put off malice, guile, which is deception, hypocrisy, and slandering. And, uh, you know, Bill, you and I, you know, we, and anybody that's trying to serve a father is going to be slandered. And people will just make it up as they go. Well, you have to wonder their spirit. Well, well, I face that all the time. (laughs) In, In fact, quite a number of them are listening to this program. I know. <laughs> they just make it up as they go. Um, it tells us uh, in First uh, in Peter two eleven to be sympathetic, lovers of the brethren, compassionate, humble-minded. That's from First Peter two and eight. First um, Peter two eleven says to seek peace and pursue it. Maybe maybe some of those listening tonight can think about how they need to be seeking peace and, and the way is to seek peace. Be at peace. Maybe they're troubled spirits. First Peter 4, 8-9, we're to have, to have zealous love for one another. And of course it tells us love covers a multitude of errors or sins. But we are to be hospitable to one another without murmuring. Second Peter 1, 5-7, through the game with your faith, Christians are to grow. We're to gain faith, knowledge, and self-control. With self-control, gain endurance. With it, gain piety or righteousness. And with your piety, gain brotherly love. And with brotherly love, charity. Jude, verses 22 and 23, tells us to have mercy upon others and try to help them. Absolutely, and, uh, and Christ said, "In in um, it, it's I haven't um pulled any notes for tonight, and and maybe I should have, but but if you look throughout Amos, Hosea, Micah, Christ, all these prophets, Isaiah, Yahweh always chastises these ancient children of Israel for not looking out." For the poor, the needy, the fatherless, the and the widows, over and over and over again, and um, and they they obviously weren't doing that because that is if we examine some of the prophets, and I've expounded on this in in my series on the minor prophets. That is a large component of the reason why the children of Israel were punished. And it's mentioned by all those prophets. 
in, in the prophecies leading up to the Assyrian deportations. And Christ, um, well, well, Christ quoted this on, on two occasions in the Gospel, where he said in Hosea, It's mercy I desired, and not sacrifice, and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings, dealing treacherously against our brethren, as he says in Hosea chapter 6, verse 7. They have trans- but they, like men, have transgressed the covenant, and they have dealt treacherously against me, because they did not have mercy on their brethren. They dealt treacherously against God, and, and he's not going to have mercy on them. They are going to be punished. They are going to be, um, they are going to suffer trials for that behavior, then and now. So we must have mercy on our brethren. We must look out for the poor, the needy, the fatherless, the widows. We, we, we are obligated to um, look out for our fellow man. In, in, um, in James chapter 2, he, he basically said that if faith doesn't have works... That then faith is worth nothing, right? If um, if you see your brother hungry and you tell him go forth and be fed, well, that doesn't do him a damn bit of good. You have to feed him. You have to find food for him. If you have the means, if you yourself have the means, and you're not feeding your brother or, or you're not looking out for his needs, your faith is worthless. Well, right. Um, they work at them. And, and uh, it's sad enough that many preachers uh, leave that out. They were condemned, and um, you and I, that uh, we understand, neither you and I are not National Socialists, but we understand the biblical principles of National Socialism. We point out such verses as, as in um, Isaiah and, and other places where Yahweh was. It wasn't just because they were worshiping pagan Canaanite gods or whatever that they were put in the captivity of judge, it was because they did not um, uh, look out for one another. They were greedy. Isaiah 5 and 8 says, Woe to them that join house to house and add field to field that they may take away something of their neighbors. This capitalism and you get your own, man. I worked hard. You get your own. That, 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 there's nothing new under the sun. That's the way it was. In, in, in ancient times with our Israelite ancestors, is there was always this group of people that were selfish looking out, you know, they didn't care Oh, I, I, you know, they, they don't, they, they don't care what other people that other people uh, have need or, or struggle. It, it's it's all about well, they need to work harder, or maybe God's not blessing them because there's sin in their life. Well, maybe their their call in life is to be on the lower economic scale, and your call in life is to show some brotherly love and, and, and help them. Um, it's not about being lazy and looking for a handout. That's a bunch of you know. Now, that's a whole bunch of capitalist propaganda. <laughs> there, we are to look out for one another. Like I said, I referred to earlier, the scripture says, how does the love of God dwell in you if you have the goods of this society and you hold back? That's not love. We're not talking about taking, you know, people's stuff from them that they don't want. God loves a cheerful gift. But 
you should want to help and look out for your own and take care of your own. I, um, the bill, when you were in prison, I know that you had, you've seen where there were the, the white brothers there that you, you, you fellowship with, you read the Bible with and things. I know that if one of you needed something, the others would try to help and get it for you. All the time. As, as long as he was an honest Christian man, yes, all the time. And yet people will condemn men that have been in prison, but strangely enough, so there's some men in prison, white men in prison, that are more Christian than some whites out here that call themselves Christian. Well, I don't want to talk about my time in prison, but, but if you were a white man and came into my, my, my um, unit, the building that I was housed in, you, I was probably the first white prisoner you spoke to. And if you were straight, you had anything you needed. Anything. Coffee, cigarettes, whatever. You had it. Clothing, food, you had it. No questions asked if you were straight. If you were a child molester or, or um, fell into one, one or another unpopular prison prisoner categories, that, then you got nothing. If you were a wigger, you, you got nothing. And, and then your, your life would be hard because if the white boys in prison didn't take care of you, the niggers, they knew it. And, and they knew that you were basically... Um, yeah, you, you were theirs. So, that, that's, prison's a hard place. But if you were a straight white man, you had anything you needed as soon as you got there. Which isn't saying much in prison, but it's a lot when you have nothing. Um, to, to have a meal, to have stamps for mail, to have um, messages sent to your loved ones that you arrived safely, stuff like that. Right. And prison is a very unnatural social, you know, setting and, and very brutal and, and, and inhuman, inhumane, and certainly it's a biblical, a biblical form of punishment for that matter. But if, if my point was is that if prisoners can do that, surely people out here that call themselves Christians could be doing that and looking out for one another and making sure everyone has what they need. And sometimes it might be just some prayer or a word of encouragement. It doesn't necessarily mean that they need, you know, your money or you to buy them something or whatever. It's just to look out for one another, to care, to seek one another's prosperity. Right. That's the way life should be. You should be kind to every white man you see in the street. You should be kind and 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 um, concerned about them. You see a white man broke down on the road, you should stop. You see a nigger broke out broke down on the road, you should mash the gas pedal. <laughs> That's the way it is. Yeah, you know, First uh, John two nine through eleven he is hate, hating his brother or hates his brother is in darkness and blind. And as you cited earlier, Leviticus nineteen seventeen, uh, the Old Testament tells us not to hate your fellow Israelites. First John three eleven and twelve, don't be like Cain who slew his brother. First John three sixteen, we are obliged to lay down our lives on behalf of our brother. And of course that's uh, you know, John thirteen and John fifteen, thirteen, no greater love, lay down your life on behalf of your friends. Again, that doesn't mean I'm sorry. I'm not talking about just taking uh 
taking a bullet for him. It's talking about instead of dying for him in combat or something. That's the macho thing to say. Yeah, man, I died for my bro, man. Um, how about live for your brothers? <laughs> well, well, right. Paul explains that if we die, we die for Yahweh. If we live, we live for Yahweh. And, and, and um, Christ says, he who follows after me must take up his cross, not my cross, his cross, and follow me. We should all, as members of the body of Christ, as fellow Christians, we should all live every day. And I'm not saying that we have to neglect our families, our mortgages, our rent. We have to make sure that those things are paid and, and that those people are fed. But, and, and a man that doesn't take care of his own gets his apportionment with one of the faithless. So that's a different, we're not asking people to forego those things. Those things are primary. But each one of us should live every day for the, the um, benefit of his community and his kinsmen. And, and, and do something every day. Right. And if you can't give... Uh, or there's not a need to, to give some sort of uh, money or, or something like that, you're supposed to at least give a kind word, find where your gifts are that you can help the body of Christ. And like I said, if it's just prayer and, and, and encouragement, an encouraging word, encouraging email to one another or something like that, whatever it is. Right. It's, that's what you and I are talking about. Um, for, it, it, in First John 3.17, it says, you know, if you have the substance of society or the world... And you shut off your affection. If there's not meaning things of this world, physical things or monetary things, they just need an encouraging word. They need uh, prayer. They 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 need edification. Sometimes they might need a a gentle admonishment or a stern rebuke. But you're looking out for one another. And that's what we're talking about here. That's what brotherly love. Well, well, right, and and there are we all have um, well, we all have um, people in our environment, pe people in in our amongst our kindred or in our neighborhood that are decent white people, widows that need errands run. It it doesn't take much to um, ask the old woman next door if if you're going to. Walmart, if she needs anything, that doesn't take much. That might save her an awful lot of work, just That's picking up a gallon of milk or, or something silly like that. Well, we should look out for everybody that we come in contact with daily, as long as they are fellow white Christians. We should, um, if you have a, I, I tell people all the time, if um, they can't support Christogenia financially, that's that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But go post some links on 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 some of these new sites to Christogenia, and and try to bring other people to the truth. That that might be um, a million times better that, than sending me ten dollars through PayPal or something. So so that that's not it, it's not giving to the community, isn't? Don't confuse that with giving to a church, giving to a pastor. Forget that. Giving to your community, brotherly love, communication is with one another in your daily lives every day. That's what's most important. And everything else is secondary. That the, um, how you treat the Christians that you come in contact with 
That's what's most important. Now, online, <coughs> where because we are identity Christians, we don't have a local neighborhood um, church, if I have to call it that, to go to. Our Christian assembly is online. You should treat those people online the same way you would treat them as if they were in, 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 in the seat next to you in a Christian yeah, assembly or across the don't table. Be, don't be from them in the back seat either like I was talking about earlier. <laughs> well, well, right. And, and, and we're in a precarious position that being an, an online community. But, but we should still treat each other as if they are right in front of our faces. And, and it, it's the people in talk yet you know, that, that they all listen, and, and the people in the Christiania chat, they interact a little more, but that they should be interacting and, and looking out for one another as well. And, and that's the way it is. That's, if we're a Christian community, we should act like a Christian community and, and be concerned for our fellows all the time. So, that is... Um, in identity Christianity, it, it's even here. It, there's, a, I think, a lot of room for improvement in, in how we um, interact and, and commune with one another. So I'm, I'm not taking any of my listeners to task. Uh, I'm just trying to encourage them to think about these things because what we have always tried to develop a community, even though we're hundreds of miles apart from each other. That's always been our goal. Right. And there, there, there are certainly, um, I've served, I have experienced some great Christian brotherly love in, among Christian identities in person. Uh, different people I've met and known and, and, and uh, dealt with and fellowshiped with in some of my travels in the past and, and in my personal life. And uh, in cyberspace, I, you know, there's certainly... I've experienced a lot of this, and this is this motherly love. Um, the Christian identity, you know, I don't care if the world calls us racist, haters, anti-Semites, whatever. I, I don't care. Um, but I, I want people to know that uh, when they start to deal with a Christian identist online or, or in person, like at work or something like that, and they come across, they should see, I remember the first true Christian identity I ever met. He was, he was a kind person. He was thoughtful. He was respectful to all the white people around him, whether they believed in identity or not. And, and, and that's, um, you know, we Christians are the ones supposed to be showing these attributes to this brotherly love. And the New Testament is loaded, and I just, by at least deciding some different parts in, in uh, the epistles, every epistle, including Philemon and Jude, Every last one of them is just loaded with stuff about loving one another and, and what that love is and, you know, uh, defining and explaining what that love is. It's, it's, it's being kind. It's, it's putting your brother before yourself as far as, uh, you know, looking for his, him doing better. Don't, don't be so arrogant. Don't, don't think yourself better than your brother. Um, and, and, and try to help your brother and, and, or sister and uh, don't lie and create a bunch of lies and slander and gossip. And for Pete's sake, <laughs> uh, don't 
to start arguing or getting hateful or poking and prodding a fellow Christian identist on the internet in forums or underneath, you know, on, on chat rooms or Facebook or whatever, underneath some posting or something, when people are watching this and they see how two Christian identists are arguing and picking and being hateful to each other in a public forum like that, it hurts us. I just wanted to get that out there, and I hope that those have ears hear and see that you, people are watching how we treat one another. First um, John three twenty four. The Christians have well two main things to do: believe in the name of His Son Yeshua Christ, and that we love one another just as He given us commandments. Uh, it, it says in First John four eight, He not loving don't know Yahweh. So it says in, in, twice in, in the First John, the fourth chapter, verses eight and verse sixteen, that Yahweh is love. It says it twice in the same chapter. Yahweh, God is love. So we ought to first off love Yahweh with all our heart, mind, and soul, our very being, with your life, with everything you've got, with your talents, your abilities, all blessings that you've got, and your opportunities. You know, if you don't know, ask Yahweh. Say, Yahweh, what do I do? I mean, what can I do with this? Is there something I can do? And live for Him. And part of your living for Yahweh is to love your brother and your sister and to look out for one another and to prefer your brother. And it also says in 1 John that that he who hates his brother is a murderer. Well, it says in 1 John 4.20, if you say you love Yahweh and hate your brother, you're a liar. So you're a murderer and a liar. Right. And and if we have to define hate again, well, again, hate is slander, libel, uh, gossiping, uh, being selfish and not caring, not looking out for him. Those are all hate. That's all murder for your brother. That's not love. Absolutely. Matthew, uh, Christ said in Matthew 5, Blessed are those having mercy. Verse 22, be angry with your brother. You shall, you'll, be ju- you'll be subject to judgment. And you're not even to call your brother worthless, and certainly not to call him stupid. What well, we can't even tell us in verse 24 of that chapter, Matthew. You can't pray if you know your brother has something against you. You need to go and make it right with that brother or that sister. And if, like Bill was talking about earlier, if it's just, you know, go and apologize. I've had to apologize to people before. I didn't mean to do something wrong or, or whatever, and I apologize. Man, I'm sorry. It's no big deal. And I've had brothers and sisters who stepped on my toes in life. They apologize. Hey, no big deal. Well, that's the way it should, be. It, it should be. We should be concerned for one another's feelings before our own. Because concern for our own pre- feelings before one another's, that's pride. That's arrogance. Yes, and it's not putting, laying your life down for your brother or your sister. Right. That's not what Paul, Paul gave an example of that laying your life down for your brother or your sister. And that was when he said he wouldn't eat meat in front of a weak brother because of the situation of, of, of the historical context he was talking about back then. 
he didn't eat, he wouldn't eat meat, even though it'd be clean, like beef or something. But he wouldn't eat it if some pagans had prayed over it. If he was worried that a Christian, a new Christian, would would see and think that he was taking part in some sort of paganism and he, you know caused them to stumble. But the point is, is that's a form of laying your life down for your brother. Right. The, the, um, in the first century, the idols' temples were basically restaurants also. And, and yeah. in the cities, it was very difficult to obtain meat, which had not been sacrificed at one of the local temples. The meat markets were attached to the temples, to the pagan temples. One of their businesses, what was... Um, Revelry, another business, and and they had restaurants, and, and what we would consider restaurants, and another one of their businesses was the meat market. They would sacrifice the animals on the idol's temple and sell parts of it in the meat market and send the rest of it to the restaurant. Right, and people need to understand uh, that will help. They understand it's like anything in, in, in reading in the Bible. You understand historical context. Well, it's the same in reading any history book. Uh, if you can put yourself kind of in, in the historical context, you can understand uh, such things. But uh, the, the, the general teaching that Paul was doing there with the not eating meat sacrificed idols would never eat meat again. He was that's basically that's laying your life down for your brother or sister. It, it, it's you putting them before yourself. Right. That's love, man. That's nothing but love. Absolutely. And that's how Christians should live every day. To put their brethren and their concerns of their brethren and the faith of their brethren before their own. What we do. And, and in so doing, you'll be fulfilling the law. You'll be loving your brother. You'll be fulfilling the law of love, of loving your neighbor. You won't be hanging him. You, you won't be coveting his stuff. You won't be lying and slandering and, and, and all that. You, you won't have time for that. You'll be too busy uh, um, looking out for your brothers and sisters. And, and in so doing, that's going to help to spread the, the, the identity message, the, the racial identity message. And people will see that identity is a tight community that we really genuinely care about. Whether it's a cyber community or it's, it's uh, there's pockets and groups of identists that uh, that live near to each other and they look out for one another. Where I was in South Carolina, I, I kind of had that. I had a regular Bible study that I conducted, and we 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 hung out together. We did Bible study. We prayed together, laughed together. Um, shared our problems with one another. We did everything together. We were a family. And then when I moved away, they, they still do that, but I, I moved away and I live in an isolated area. Now I'm kind of, well, there's really nobody to fellowship with here, but I fellowship on, on the internet and and uh, over the phone and, and things like that over Skype and, and, and things like that. Uh, you can still, even over the electronic equipment, you can still feel that love for brothers and sisters. If you can tell, it's genuine. It's not just, you know, I love you, man. I love you, bro. It's, it's, you can tell it's genuine care and consideration for one another. And it means everything. Everything. Absolutely. Yeah, we can have a sustainable Christian identity community online. That can be. 
if, if people put away their own private and their own feelings, that that, that community would grow. That that's a big problem with, with identity Christians. Is that when, when and I found this to be a pattern throughout my entire um, period of time that I've studied Christian identity. <coughs> what when people um, learn the truth about their identity and 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 um, things like the fact that we should do our best to keep the laws of God and and things like that, that they get these ideas in their head that they just learn the truth and and God must have opened their eyes to that for them to learn the truth. So they're going to become um, pharisaical about things and, and feel that they should be able to tell their brethren what to do. And if somebody else has different ideas about certain things, that they can't have communion with those people because their revelation came from God. A lot of identity Christians feel that way and get offended over minor differences which should not matter in the long run. Well, case in point, uh, Bill, you and I have some minor differences. You're my brother. You and I fellowship well over the telephone and Skype and things like that. But we fellowship on a regular basis. I, I don't. It doesn't. It, that's not important to me. Of minor differences, uh, you know, on doctrines, it's just minor things. And, and I have maybe um, maybe the listeners might want to hear this and know a little bit about my background so they can understand where I'm coming from from my experience. Many years ago, before I came to identity, I was. You wouldn't know it from my appearance now, but. In my early adult years, my late teens and early 20s, I was a very zealous member of the Holiness Church. And um, let me tell you, going around other Holiness Churches and hanging out with other Holiness people, wow, um, that is a... The Holiness community is pretty much kind of a closed community. It's uh, its its own little subculture. And uh, it's got its own language and ways of doing things and thinking, and it's not what most people think. And by the way, I'm not talking about the Pentecostal snake handlers and those types. That's something different. Um, although the holiest people are charismatic, they you know they get up and sing and and uh, all that. But uh, holiest people, they're notorious for being um, having a lot of neo-Pharisee types among them. And uh, it, you know, any little thing you do, you're devil possessed. You're a sinner. There's wickedness. Um, it, it, you become it, 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 you become very very tense, and uh, it, it creates these little sub sects or cults within the the, the holiness community, and um, it, it, it creates uh, it, it, it just really creates a lot of problems. So when I came to identity years later, I was already a veteran of the Pharisee types of our day, the Neo-Pharisees. And there are Pharisee people, sad to say, that I believe they're Christian identity brothers and sisters in most part, but they are very pharisaical. See, I not only learned oneness in 1987, I learned about the pork law, or the meat law. So I, I stopped eating pork and, and catfish and, and things like that in 1987. Okay. I, I mean, I was familiar with Yahweh, Yeshua, all of that. <laughs> before a lot of people 
well, some of the people that I didn't even born. But uh, I had seen so much of this pharisaical, judgmental, want to tell each other what to do. And I just realized, you know what? I still to this day will not eat shellfish, pork, any of those types of things. And I would never, ever just start being judgmental and shoving it down people's throats that they shouldn't do this or do that or, or what have you. And a lot of things that people say are sin, it's just man-made commandments. It's tradition that they've made up. And don't get me wrong, if it's not a faith, it's sin, the Scripture says. And if you feel condemned in your heart, then don't do it. But another right. brother, don't judge his liberty. If he feels like he can do something and it doesn't condemn him. If you're a mature Christian, we're not talking about the new Christians like Apostle Paul was talking about when he talked about eating meat, sacrificed to idols, that it, to him it was just meat. Uh, he, if, you, if you're a mature Christian, you should be able to walk in faith and have fellowship one with another, walk in the light as you're in the light, and have fellowship one with another. You can have your discourses and your debates and your discussions, but keep them civil. And in the end, realize that still your brother or sister, and if you think they're really wrong about some side doctrine or issue, pray about it. Pray, Father, you know, I, I would be But when you pray for your brother or sister and you ask Yahweh to show them, to open their eyes about something, they might be doctrinally in error. Also pray, Father, if I'm wrong, show me. I've done that many times. And sometimes I found out I was wrong. And sometimes the person I was praying for eventually came around. That's the way we have to treat one. Well, well right. And I've had that experience many times. You, you know, Clifton Emmerheiser and I have worked together for um, 13 years, maybe 14 years. And, and we've had a lot of disagreements over the years and and what we always wrote back and forth with each other in a spirit of brotherhood inquiring about these disagreements and 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 either Clifton would show me scriptures where I would have to reconsider or vice versa it doesn't matter but we always corrected one another in a spirit of brotherhood and one of us or the other what would come around. Now, now there's a couple of places where we still disagree, even after all of that. If I disagree with somebody over a scripture, I can't make them read everything the way I've read it to get them to see my side of the story. I could try to present an, an, an argument to them and say, this is why I think it's this way. And, and you could take it or leave it, but if it's not one of the three core issues the people of God the enemies of God and the nature of God if you're not Amen. violating those then you are not being destructive to the assembly of God and I can't disfellowship you I have to love you as a brother once you violate the integrity of the assembly of God we have a problem and you That's right. are, you're not my enemy, you're God's enemy. What was it, uh, how do you put it, Bill, a lot of times you talk about, you, you have a way you say it, um, you, you, you say, you know, we, we often all had the same experiences, read the same things. 
Well, well, right. So I can't make you see everything that I, I think I know. I think I know, right? I can't make you see it all. I, I, I can try to write uh, an, an argument, write an article, do a podcast, broadcasting my position. If, if you don't get it, I don't blame you. I'm not going to call you stupid. I think it's my fault. I got to go redo that article, that podcast, and do it better. What was it, Clifton uh, Imheiser? You wrote, you wrote him a, a, a multi-page um, letter laying out a, somewhere you thought he was an error on. I think it was the Philistines uh, or something. Well, well, um, yeah, yeah, right. This is how I met Clifton. <laughs> And, and he'll avow to this. I, I, Clifton had thought that the, the, Can, the Phoenicians were Canaanites. And I had studied a lot of things that led me to believe otherwise. So, so Clifton wrote that um, the Phoenicians were Canaanites. And, and um, I sat down and wrote Clifton a 20-page letter explaining my position on the Phoenicians and why I thought they were Israel. And, and, um, Clifton, you know, he, in his career, as, as, in his ministry, he's gotten a lot of letters like that from people with agendas. So I didn't, I, I understood he didn't answer my letter. He never answered my letter. And, um, I, I understand why, because he probably heard from a hundred quacks like me for, for, for different, agendas and different things. So a year later, or eight months later, I think it was, he did it again. He said that the, the, the Phoenicians were Canaanites. And, and I didn't blame Clifton. I sat down and thought, I got to do better than, than this first paper. Be, because um, be, because uh, my argument must not have been convincing. So I wrote the 20-page letter into... A 30-page letter uh, trying to explain my position. A and Clifton read it, and, and then he wrote me back, and, and that's how our friendship and our working relationship began. A and that was, you know, it, it took humility on both of our parts. Uh, on Clifton's part to read my letter and, and study it, and see why I thought I was right. And on my part, to realize that perhaps my first letter wasn't sufficient and, and that I had to provide a better proof. So, so that, that's humility on both sides of the issue. And not trying to beat your brother over the head. I'm right. right. You better believe me. Because I'm right. Well, well that's bullshit. That, that's not the way we should treat one another. That's if, not the spirit of humility and love. It's, right. It's not brotherly love. Right. It's not. So, so the spirit of humility, what would make me go and, and, and study the issue more myself so that I can write a better proof. Maybe studying the issue more, I'll realize that I wasn't as right as I thought I was. Sure. So, it, it's humility. It is um, the will to study the Word of God and believe what the Word of God says 
and if your brother shows you that you're wrong from the word of God, well, you don't have to um, kiss your brother's ass, but you have to admit that the word of God is right. And you should thank your brother for showing you that. And your brother shouldn't be arrogant. If, if, he, if you do come to him and you say, man, you're right, I was wrong, you and, and the intern or you know whoever would say would also be humble and say, well, I thank God that he used me to be able to help you learn something new or, or to correct you. And it's, all, it's humbling that way as well. Right. And we arrogance... think that we're higher than we are. Arrogance, do not be high-minded, right? Arrogance does not win arguments. Arrogance causes your brother to dig in and defend his position. That's right. It's a true saying, uh, and you get more bees with honey sometimes. <laughs> well, well, absolutely, but but um. That then, on the other hand, is the people with agendas. That no matter what you tell them in black and white, they're going to say, that's not the way it is. It's my way. And, and the people with agendas, when you dig under the surface, usually you'll find that those people have their own Bible. Because they've written it. They get truth straight from God. <laughs> They get, they, they get truth from God, and, and, and the Holy Spirit walks into their living rooms and anoints them the chosen messengers of this truth they got straight from God. So you won't find it really in the Bible. Well, we'll just twist these passages into pretzels. And, and well, any man that claims that is a liar. Right. Uh, right. You know, it's Galatians 1, 8, 9 says, and it will know one film or one of the, the, the apostles or an angel from heaven right. were to preach them any other gospel. So if you can't find it in the Bible, then it's another gospel. So who is it? The, the so-called the, the angel uh, Moroni, I think it is, that uh, Joseph Smith, you know, he got these special plates from water. He's a liar. Right. He's a liar. <laughs> the Spirit and the Word agree. So I would have to find where the Word would agree. The Bible tells me to try the Spirit. So if someone tells me it's not in the Bible, but I still got to follow their little special truth, I say that they're a liar. Well, well the re we have the revelation of Christ. He is the first and the last. A and we have no further revelation from that. Anybody that adds to the words of his book... That they'll be damned. They're cursed. Paul of Tarsus said in his epistle to the Hebrews that in, in um, diverse, I'm going to paraphrase it, it, at diverse times in diverse ways in the past, God spoke to our fathers through the prophets. Today, he speaks to us through the Son. We have all we're going to have in the Revelation and the Gospels. That's right. Because there are no more prophets. Not in that sense. There are no Not more prophets sense. that are telling us the Word of God. We have the Word of God. There are prophets in the sense of revealing 
things unknown and those prophets are so that the unbelievers become believers and, and right. even that they has won't failed ever a, a Christian prophet if they're called that often will never counter or add anything that's already been written right we can only expound on scripture only expound that's right well, thank you for joining me tonight. I, I think we've about run our course, or at least we've said enough, I pray. And um, I hope we've said enough to make some of our um, listeners and some of our online community think a little bit more about brotherly love. And also think about those who sit here every week and, and, and slander us and what their real motives should, should be or may be because Christians don't troll and Christians do not slander. Amen. That's right. Praise Yahweh. Thank you for, for, for joining us. Thank you for listening. I will be here next Friday, Yahweh willing, with Romans chapter 14 and the 19th installment of our presentation of Paul's epistle. I will be here next Saturday with Appendix B of the Christogenian New Testament, The Devil and Satan. Praise Yahweh and good night. Call recording has been...